There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome into the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network. From the HomeLoanExpert.com studios, I'm your host, Tim McKernan. It's time for questions from the audience. A program that as recently as last week was recorded from my bed, sometimes is recorded in the studios at KFNS, and today I am back in my basement. Questions coming in. Uh, via email, Tim McKernan at InsideSTL.com. Any question is welcome. Any topic is welcome. It's encouraged. If you're just thinking to yourself, man, I really don't know, and I don't really want to vocalize this to anybody else because they might think I'm a creep, I am your safe harbor. Email me, and I assure you I will not uh, violate the omerta. I'm never going to read your name unless you're like, hey, read my name, and I'll be like, all right, sweet. But uh, we get questions via email. We also get them via the TMA fan page. Part of our program every week uh, is questions from the audience on Wednesdays. In addition to our interviews that um, debut every Sunday slash Monday, in this case, Jeff Fisher, uh, I think it's his first long-form interview since leaving St. Louis and continuing on as the Los Angeles Rams coach. Um, if I'm wrong on that, it's not from a place of uh, trying to deceive anybody. It's like it matters anyway. It's like I'm going to get like extra money or something like that for saying it. Uh, but it's just my belief because had he done an interview with somebody else, I would imagine I would have listened to it. Hell, I listened to when he did one that was basically Tennessee Titans centric with Clay Travis, which was a really good interview um, about three weeks ago or so. So um, Jeff Fisher, our guest this week, if you haven't listened to it, subscribe to the podcast. We have great interviews every week. I mean, within the last... Six weeks, I think it's been Joe Buck, Pat Maroon, John Kelly, Jeremy Macklin, Jeff Fisher. I mean, that's a. If I were doing a show, I don't know. I mean, it's just I, I'll put that guest list up against anybody's any anywhere in St. Louis. I don't even think twice about. It. I don't even know where else you're going to get that. So it's a tribute to the people working on this show and the sponsors who make it possible. Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. Uh, of course, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency and all of our guests are presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. So the guests are on Sunday and Monday, and then we have questions from the audience on Wednesday and pick six with the weatherman. I know I host, um, but it's not like it's I think Joe producer Joe went four and two last week. Weatherman went three and three and G unit went zero oh and six. So producer Joe is thrilled that uh, the G unit went zero oh and six. Weatherman is not off to the strongest of starts, but the man did go 65% against the spread. Uh, and, and really, the, right now, the highlight isn't necessarily the picks. It's how fucking angry Joe is. So, I don't know. He's angry at Iggy. He's angry at the Plowhawk. I guess he's angry at G-Unit. I don't know what's going on with him. But uh, that's 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 what I look forward to in the episode at this point. So, there, there's what we have for you on the Tim McKernan Show. Um, and I, I always, as I've said for ever since we started doing this, I enjoy questions from the audience because it's just kind of a time for me to unwind and let my mind wander. And um, and once again, the audience, at this point, I can't answer all the questions because they're coming in and some of them um, pick up from last week's uh, episode 
and uh, kind of become a family tree of questions, so to speak. But understandably, this week, um, got a lot of emails slash questions about the Jeff Fisher interview. Um, I really recommend listening to it. As I always say, I think people think when it comes to like radio ratings or now podcasts that if you listen, like it means more money. And the truth is, I mean, it would have to be like hundreds of thousands of, of downloads for it to actually have a material impact. So it just doesn't, it really doesn't matter. Um, just being real blunt with you at this point, not something that can shift over time, but my point is I'm not, I'm not looking to, uh, to get you to listen to it and then suddenly magic will happen for me financially. It's just for the purpose of being informed, really. I mean, you get to hear directly from him. And of course, we talk about relocation. And um, I've been asked about the interview and in a variety of different ways, some of it on the TMA fan page, which I would recommend joining on Facebook. Uh, It's 7,100 plus people who uh, interact with each other daily about the show and then just a variety of other topics. And, uh, and also, of course, via email. And how I handled what Fisher said regarding relocation and the strategy and asking questions and so on and so forth. And I guess I've never really gotten into that, but at the same time, when I think about the interviews I've done on this podcast, um, most of the time... When I say most, I'm not saying 51% or greater. I'm saying 95% or greater um, is it's it's a bullshit session. And by that, I mean we're sitting down, me and somebody else, and we just kind of wander. I'll have, if it's a guest I don't know well or, um, or somebody where I really want to make sure we hit on a few things, I'll have either typed out in front of me or written on a notebook, uh, in a notebook, a few bullet points, but never questions. Well, with Fisher, uh, there was, um, I don't know, strategy makes it sound like, it, you know, it was a, a deposition, um, and that, that would not be accurate. But um, I guess a plan to try to get the most we possibly can regarding relocation. Um, and so it was weird because I don't usually, well, I don't want to say I don't usually talk about it, but um, because there'd be no reason to talk about it because it, there never really is a plan. And I really say that proudly, um, not because it's like me thumbing my nose at the establishment, but because um, it's, it's improv. Our show is improv. The, the radio show is improv. The podcast is improv. And I think that can irritate some people who can't do it. But what they do is different, and it's it's cool. And I don't even know if it irritates anybody anymore because it's kind of like everybody's got their own things now, and, and you're not really competing with other people uh, like it might have been you know, 20 years ago or 10 years ago even. So I say that um, in, in that I wanted to make sure that we optimized our chances of having the best part of the interview be about relocation and get the most from the coach on that topic. Um, so I'm picturing it and I wanted to talk about it. And I realize, you know, of, of the thousands of people who have listened to it and will listen to it, you know, I mean, uh, 50% maybe will listen to this, but to give some background on in a way, I almost wanted to say it in my intro on the podcast, but then it's kind of like, you know, I don't know. It just makes, I don't know. It kind of, it, if it's not, if I don't say it properly, it can come off the wrong way. But 
I'm sure some people listened to it and were like, oh my God, you're going to talk about like the 2012 and 13 and 14 and 15 Rams, and you're going to talk about the 99, well, the 2000 Super Bowl, the 99 season Super Bowl, Super Bowl 34, and, and, and you're not getting into what everyone wants to hear him talk about. And, and if I were listening to it, and I guess if I had no background in this, um, I, that's what I would be thinking. So I was conscious of that going in, but at the same time, what is my what is my you know goal? Uh, and my goal is to get the best I can get on the topic that I know everyone is tuning in for, which is the talk about relocation. So from that standpoint, you can't, as the interviewer, you can't go right into relocation. Coach, thanks for joining us. Listen, a lot of people are unhappy with what happened nearly four years ago with the Rams leaving. What did you know and when did you know it? You know, I I think if you hear me say it that way, and I realize that's exaggerated, but if I were to do it that way, what am I going to get? And immediately he's on the defensive. So there was, but it wasn't, it wasn't just as simple as let's, let's have some small talk and BS and this and that. There was more to it uh, than that, and I don't want to. I don't want to portray it like this was. This was meta interviewing here. It's just there was there was a plan. There were specific names mentioned um, to make sure that we had established to enter them, so to speak, into the discussion um, for the purpose of eventually getting to them uh, later on in the interview. And uh, Cortland Finnegan was one of those names because we had gotten this. Uh, the story now I was, we had gotten it makes it sound like I had acquired evidence, but Cortland Finnegan said in 2016. I'm paraphrasing now because I don't have it in front of me that uh, that he knew the Rams were going to move and it wasn't really a surprise. And he said uh, he was asked how he knew and he said, "Well, Coach Fisher," and uh, he said, "I think Coach Fisher knew and that's why he stuck it out even when things were bad." Um, so when Jeff Fisher said in the interview that he didn't know, it was you know which I expected him. Well, there were two ways. He could either say he did, which would have been surprising, but if he did, there was a line to take. But if he didn't, then I knew that Cortland Finnegan, who he coached in Nashville and then who followed him to St. Louis less than two months after Jeff Fisher signed to be the Rams coach, uh, said that he knew, and that's how Cortland knew. So that was... Um, I think that was probably the part that for the people who have listened to it, it's a 50-minute interview that, that stands out most. I po- posted it on social media. We played it on TMA. And um, it's certainly been the part that's gotten the most attention. And here is a um, – I think this is the question about it. Uh, no. Let's see. Boy, this always I always do this, and it just has to be the, the absolute worst um, – Let's see. God, I thought this guy had a... All right, well, here we go. Uh, This isn't the one. Maybe it was posted somewhere else. Uh, Hey, Tim, just listen to the interview with uh, you did with Jeff Fisher. Do you think that the real motivation he had to do the interview was to try to clear his name from ongoing litigation? I'm thinking specifically of the quote he had about, quote, I decided on L.A. or St. Louis at the time knowing there was going to be a pending move, end quote. Going further into my conspiracy theory, do you think that the reason the Rams gave him the extension shortly before firing him was to give him one last payday as a way to keep him quiet about the way the move went down? 
Uh, first question. I have always thought, and, and we, I mean, I point blank asked him about that quote. I decided on L.A. or St. Louis at the time, knowing there was going to be a pending move. I really think, I mean, I'm telling you, let me, let me put it this way. This is the way I answer these questions where we don't know and I'm kind of asked to give a read. I got to put whatever, whatever material amount of money to each their own, a material amount of money on the line. So not like five bucks, but something that would hurt if I lost on whether or not Jeff Fisher was caught and essentially unintentionally acknowledging that he knew the team was going to move in 2012 with that quote. Um, Or did he misspeak? I think he misspoke. I do not think that he knew in 2012, January 2012, when he was interviewed by Stan Kroenke, that he knew they were going to move in 2016. I just don't. I just don't. Uh, First off, I don't know if they knew they were going to move in 2012. And I think this puts me in a minority in St. Louis. And I'm sure some of you are listening going, oh, come on. But again, we're not operating in absolutes here. Um, We're operating on probabilities. I'm operating on probabilities. Uh, Stan Kroenke found the land, so to speak, in uh, 2013 the arbitration hearing was not in 2012. It was after. And um, and, and so I, do, I just I think they knew that it was absolutely in play. And I absolutely think it was something that attracted Stan Kroenke to Jeff Fisher. I don't think it was the only thing um, because he had done it and he had done it from Houston to Memphis to Nashville. They lived in Nashville, but they played in Memphis. Then they played at Vanderbilt, and then they got to their their new stadium um, in either 98 or 99 with the Titans. So I think, I absolutely think that was a positive, that Fisher happened to leave the Titans after the 2010 season, sat out 2011. The Rams are terrible in 2011, and he's out there, and I think it just checked the boxes. And he was the client of Marvin Demoff. There's just so much to this. Um, so I, so therefore, I'm, I'm going with, I think he misspoke. I really do. But do I think he knew sooner than he let on in the interview? Yes. Do I understand why he didn't say that? Yes. Um, would I have liked him to say it? Of course I would have liked him to say it. Um, going further to my conspiracy theory, do you think that the reason the Rams gave him the extension shortly before firing him was to give him one last payday as a way to keep him quiet about the way the move went down? Um I certainly can understand why people would think that. It's something that has absolutely entered my mind. Uh, Martin Kilcoin was on TMA this morning, and, and I recall this as well. I think the contract extension was something that had been going on for a while, but it just got, happened to get announced like 10 days before he was announced to be fired, which is just bizarre and textbook, you know, odd management. Um, but yeah, I can, I can absolutely see that. And, and many would say, well, that's the reason why he didn't answer your questions directly in the interview. What I would tell you is, I believe he knew before Kevin Demoff called him, as he said, and said, do you want to be the coach of the Los Angeles Rams? Um, I, th- I think, you know, I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, I think that he is not going to say that because he wants to coach again. And he doesn't want to be the guy that people feel like, oh, well, if we have to keep things inside the room, he's going to go ahead and leak them if and when he's not happy. Uh, so that's that's my read. And I don't really think that's something that's that's all that surprising to people. Um, but that's my honest assessment.
You know, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency is my insurance agent. So this is a first-hand endorsement of James Carlton and his staff in Webster Groves. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. I think a lot of people just go, okay, well, I've got a guy, I've got a lady, I'm good. I don't really care to talk about insurance. It's something, you know, I'm 25, whatever. And that's fine. I understand. I used to think the same way. And then I go down to my basement on March 30th of 2019 and the basement's flooded and the world changes. It just so happens because my interactions with James have been so positive that my wife and I switched to James Carlton uh, in late 2018. And I'm telling you, if we had not, the odyssey that has been a flooded basement throughout all of this precipitation in St. Louis would have been infinitely more difficult to navigate without somebody as active. And on top of it is James Carlton. His phone number is 314-961-4800, or you can go online at carltoninsurance.net. And even now, he still checks in. You know, I mean, it's it's just a different ball game. And even before we had that, which, of course, was a substantial issue, um, you know, we weren't covered on, on something, or I had forgotten to make a payment. It wasn't like it was like some monster payment. It was a small payment. But he's like, hey, just so you know, uh, you haven't made this payment. We want to make sure that's taken care of so you're covered. It's just... It's, it's just different. It's different in a much better way. And that's why, you know, if, if you ran into me at a, at a bar or restaurant and said, hey, you know, and I have had it happen. Hey, Tim, who's that insurance agent? People email me. And I go, oh, it's James Carlton. Here, let me include him on the on the email. And I know he's going to be on top of it. I don't think twice about it. It's not like I'm like, oh, yeah, let me tell you about him. And then somebody actually wants to follow up. And I'm like, oh, God, I hope he does okay. The best, the absolute best. And you're talking about your biggest investments so you want to make sure they're taken care of properly. James Carlton and his staff at Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency will certainly do that. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. Uh, let's see. Okay, the, here's the question that um, I initially thought I was going to open up, but it was sent yesterday, not today. Hey, Tim, question for you. How hard is it to ask someone a tough question on camera or radio? I was listening to the Jeff Fisher podcast, and you were asking him if uh, he knew the team was going to move in 2012. And then when you followed up with the Cortland Finnegan quote, it made my stomach turn. Um, is it something you learn, or is it something you are born with? Does it get easier over time, or does it always suck when you know you have to ask the question, or do you get off on it? Uh, always wondered about that, listening and learning. And uh, this gentleman doesn't say to not use his name, so we'll say Sean M. is the person who sent that in. Um, I don't get off on it. Uh, at the same time, here's how I view it. This is a very direct answer, and it's a macro answer because it's not specific to the Fisher interview. In reality, for as up and down, behind the scenes as it has been, since I left Columbia, Missouri to take my first television job in Little Rock, Arkansas. The reality is, as I've said, I believe a number of times, both on the radio and on the podcast, to still be doing this at 42 years old, to have worked nearly two decades in my hometown, which is all I ever really wanted to do anyway, just didn't think I'd get here until, if I was lucky, 30. Uh, In this profession, if you want to call it that, that so many people want to get into, and then if they do, then have to you know, maybe work in, not maybe, most of the time work in markets that are not where they want to start, but it's just, it's it's like, you know, if you're a major league ball player, you don't get to start usually with the major league team. 
Uh, and some people are at A-ball longer than others, and some people never get out of A-ball. So I say all of that because while, yes, we have certainly, the cat, Doug, Martin, all of our producers have dealt with things that have been unpleasant, um, and it's not fun to have the drama in your professional life talked about in the newspaper, or online, social media, whatever. Uh, the reality is we get to do this for a living. I view it that way anyway, and we're incredibly lucky, incredibly lucky. I, there's there's no other way to describe it. I, I, I think as, as time goes on, I actually have a greater appreciation for how fortunate we are. Um, and I'm talking I'm talking specifically about Doug, the cat, and myself, um, because you look at how many people want to do it, like if we take ourselves back to college, and then how few actually even get a chance to get one job where they make a dollar, and sometimes that's about what the jobs pay, much less continue to do it throughout your life. Um, so I've, we've run good. I've run good. And I feel like part of, the, part of the responsibility, not part of one of the main responsibilities, is I am, we are, the conduit, the middleman between the fans, the people who make this possible, and the people in power or the people who play the games. And so, yeah, it can be awkward, I guess. And I suppose it can be. Um, but it's my job. And, um, and I have always enjoyed interviews. M- most of the time, they're not the kind of interview I did with Jeff Fisher. But I have enjoyed the interviews and... Um, and I don't know why, and I think we talked about it recently on a questions from the audience, and I have no idea why. I just know it's something that I've loved. And um, when I think about wanting, taking myself back to when I was a kid and I was watching like Channel 5 and Mike Bush, um, you know, or listening to, I guess there really wasn't that much sports talk radio when I was growing up. But when... I, I, I can, maybe you guys can picture it as I'm saying this. Uh, and of course, all of all of the ladies who are listening to this, because my God, I think it's at this point 90 to 95% of the audience. When you're listening to a host or a couple of hosts and you're like, oh my God, they, they got this person on. I can't wait to hear the interview. And then they do the interview and it's like, how's your golf game? Oh my God, it's... It's great to see you. Oh, it's not great to hear from you, though. And they're just like laughing and they're just like essentially in, engaging in a, in, a, in, a, in a jerk off session in an interview. And I'm like, what? You know, and, and that feeling of just like, because, you know, the interviewer doesn't want to go there. And the interviewee is thrilled that he can continue to perform manual on the host or hosts. And with every passing second, he gets closer to the end zone where he does not have to answer the questions that he's dreading answering. And that drove me up the wall. And so 20 plus years later, I don't want to do that to the audience. I have responsibility. And I don't think there's anything heroic about this. I mean, this is my fucking job, you know. Um, but I but I also, listen, I also understand um, that for a listener, they might go, oh, that was awkward. I, that, that's, this is the first email I've gotten, but it stood out to me, which is why I made sure to save this one to read it, uh, where, uh, Sean, you describe it as it made your stomach turn. I think that's what you said. Yeah, it made my stomach turn. Um, I had more people 
say I loved that moment because they felt like it was kind of a you can't handle the truth, you know, uh, I'm entitled to the truth moment, even though we weren't raising our voices, um, that he was kind of caught, so to speak. But again, it's not, he wasn't caught with his own words on that one. He may have been caught with his own words in the front first one. Uh, and by that, I mean the quote about, uh, you know, I had other opportunities, uh, but uh, I knew about the pending move to L.A. or St. Louis. So in Cortland Finnegan's thing, playing that back, reading it to him, most people that have listened to it loved that part. Um, but again, it wasn't because I'm like, oh, I can't wait to get him. That's just not it. I wanted to hear what he had to say. Um you know, and there was another part in the interview where he said something along the lines of, I had a tough time getting coaches because of the pending move. Uh, and people like, well, why didn't you, why didn't you follow up? Not people, but I had two people email me about that part of the interview asking, did I hear that and why not? And, and so my response, to that, it's a fair question because I absolutely did hear it. And I go, wow, did he just, you know, stumble again? Um, but at that point, the man had said, if you've listened to the interview, if you're trying to get me to say I knew the Rams were going to move, I'm not going to say it. So, you know, you you, you get to a point where, I mean, hell, he flat out declared he is not going to say, he's not going to say now, 10 minutes later, oh, you caught me. All right, I'll admit it. Um, and again, I get it. I think I'm, I think the thing that, you know, this was, this was, this was, the, the, the fact that he even did the interview was a surprise to me, um, candidly. And, and I, 15 minutes before he did the interview, I walked into Iggy, who, who booked the interview, and I said, does he know where we are based out of and what we're going to talk about? He goes, yeah, I told him. 590 The Fan, KFNS, Inside STL, you know, Tim McKernan in St. Louis. And I'm like, all right. I'm, like, just, I'm just like, what? In that? Why would this? I'm, I'm, listen, I was thrilled. It's one of my white whales. But uh, I'm just thinking to myself, I know he wants to coach again. I thought he was going to get into broadcasting. That hasn't taken. And now I'm going to, I know where I'm going to go. I would assume he knows where I'm going to go. And he's going to have a choice on how to handle it. But okay, let's go. So I wanted to do it because it's, I know the audience cares. So like the Dave Peacock interview, I was really looking forward to that one. Uh, even though I knew going in, it was unlikely he was going to really get into detail. Jay Nixon, same situation. Because I know this gets people fired up. When I'm doing an interview and we get the guest, um, that's a high. It's a, it's a brief high. It's a short-term high. So like when um, I think it was Iggy texted me and said, hey, tomorrow at the Enterprise Center, uh, you've got uh, Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong. And I'm like, and this is, you know, two weeks after they won the cup, if that. And I'm just like, that's a fuck. it's a great thing because I can't wait to do the interview, but but because I'm excited for the audience. Because again, I mean, the reality is, and I guess, I mean, I guess over time, if we continue to do this, and we've done it now for two years, so I suppose that's over time, you know, the show continues to, to, to get a following, and we see the numbers increasing, and that's great. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't view it through that lens. At this point, I've been in the market for 20 years, and it's not like people are like, you know what, I thought the guy talked about porn, and he would say things that I personally found to be morally reprehensible, but I heard the interview with Craig Berube, and now I think he's a great guy. I mean, it's just, people have kind of got their opinions at this point. Um, but then when we do the interview, and it goes as well as take your pick of whatever interview that might stand out to you, 
uh, that that gives I, I get I get in such a high, get in such a high. It puts me. It's one of the things that gives me the big. Talk about synapses firing, like the Baruby one was on because I knew and the maroon one, um, just are two recent ones that stand out to me. Uh, because in those two, I think it stands out to me because I know I don't know them, know them, know them. And so therefore I have some anxiety going in because I know what I want because I want to be able to deliver it for the audience, but I know that they don't know me and I know they might be like, yeah, you've got 15 minutes motherfucker. And then I'm on to the, my day. And so when I get what I got from Craig Berube and I get what I got from Pat Maroon, and then we developed a, a rapport of some kind and, um, it's and I know the audience will love it, and that that gives me a high. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I'm doing this because it's my job. But as I said at the outset of the answer to the question, it's a job I'm lucky to get to do. That just that doesn't that still hasn't gone away. I don't know if it'll ever go away because I'm aware of, you know, the alternatives, um, and I know that no matter what, I'm on on some capacity on borrowed time. So, and by that I mean it just it just doesn't last forever. And if it does, then great. But I'm in the mindset that it doesn't last forever. So when I sit down with somebody, I've got to ask the questions that I know the audience wants to hear the answers to. And sometimes it's as simple as describe the play in game seven where you beat Ben Bishop or take me into your mindset when you're addressing the boys before game seven in Boston. Those are easy ones to answer. Those are easy ones to ask. And sometimes they are asking a head coach, former head coach in the NFL, uh, right after he does what he does, which is denies that he knew the team was going to move, and then present the words of one of his former players who followed him to St. Louis from Tennessee that refute what he just said. And I know he's not going to like it, and I could tell in his response he was a little banty, but I I get it, you know. Um, but it's my but again I feel, I feel like it's my job. If you guys would have listened to the Jeff Fisher interview and I didn't ask those questions, you would have been like, what the fuck happened to you? You had your, you had your chance with Jeff Fisher and you bitched out. I, if, trust me, if I were listening to it, I don't care who it is in the market, whether it's somebody who's been around and has a big following or somebody who just luck boxed into getting the interview and they didn't ask, it doesn't matter who. I'd just be like, I don't know if I'd tweet about it because I'm not necessarily into that song and dance, but I'd just be like, man, what the fuck happened there? You know, and if you listen to it, Jeff Fisher at the beginning says, you know, he talks about relocation. He goes, you know, we're not going to have to get into that. That's all said and done. I'm thinking to myself, well, if that's what you think is going to happen, that ain't going to happen because uh, we're going to get into it. But we're not going to get into it where I scream at him. So I figured, and it hasn't happened yet, actually, which is kind of a surprise, but maybe that stuff's over, you know, that uh, that some people wouldn't like it because I didn't scream at him or I didn't like, re- like you know, but... But as I said when I was asked about the interview on the TMA fan page, um, one of my favorite moments, and I guess you could call it an interview, was a cross-examination. Um, and, it, and it's something I've taken with me, because this happened, relatively speaking, a long time ago. Shit, I don't even know. God, it might be like eight or nine years at this point now. We had an advertiser on InsideSTL.com, so this is before even radio. And it wasn't for like a huge amount of money. Uh, but if I say the dollar figure, people go, oh, that was a decent amount of money. Well, when you're talking about a bit like to an individual, it's a decent amount of money. To a business, it's not the biggest amount of money. But the guy owed it. He signed a contract. And when our uh, account executive said, you know, you're 150 days past due, when can we expect payment? And he goes, I'm not paying. 
you know, I, I, you know, you guys can sue me. We're just like, okay, fair enough. We'll sue you. And so he walks into the courtroom and I'm with my attorney and uh, our witnesses. And he walks into the courtroom. And he goes, this is a bunch of the judge isn't in the courtroom yet. And uh, says, uh, this is a bunch of bullshit. I'm going to counter sue you. And we're going counter sue for what? You signed a contract. You haven't paid. You said to sue. We sued. So he's already in a, you know, he's already whatever. I, you know, trying to, I guess, intimidate. Who gives a shit? I don't care. You know, been yelled at plenty uh, in my life. And, uh, and so my attorney begins the process of asking him questions. And it's, but it, it, it's, it's delivered in this, this type of like almost NPR delivery monotone but all while he's just like he's like fisting him he's like fisting him in the courtroom it's just absolute destruction but it's being done in a very calm and did you tell this gentleman sitting here in the courtroom to sue you because you had zero intention of paying and it just made the guy on the stand lose his mind and I'm sitting there and I'm like getting fired up, man. Like it's like I'm at a game and I'm watching this guy who's been, you know, the villain for a while. Just, just, you know, he's, he's losing. And I'm getting fired up and my attorney just calmly reaches over and he like puts his hand on my wrist because he saw I was getting fired up out of the corner of my eye because I'm like, this is so great. Fuck you, you know. Um, and so, and then he gets so upset that the judge says something along the lines, one more outburst like that. I know it sounds like this is Hollywood, but it really happened. I you know, whatever, a bunch of people I know were there, including my attorney, uh, in addition to people, some of whom you guys would know who are listening to this. Um, and, and the, and the judge says one more outburst like that. And and I'm going to hold you in contempt. I mean, he was on tilt, but I think if my attorney's screaming at him, uh, he is, he's getting some kind of satisfaction that he knows that he's getting to my attorney, which is why it was so great that my attorney's just like, because he knows the truth's on his side. So I knew going into the interview that no matter what happened, even if Jeff Fisher went after me in response, that I was going to stay calm. Um, and so, you know, he had a little banty, but he was great. I, th- I thought he was good. I got what he did. I don't like it per se, but, you know, I mean, you know, again, if you're, if you're going to say, you, did, you know, you, you didn't know until Kevin Demoff called you to say, do you want to be the head coach of the Los Angeles Rams? I mean, we all know. And we'll just have to agree to disagree on that. And that's why I followed up on it. So if you haven't listened to it, this all has been like, dude, I got to listen to it. And you should. Uh, and then come to your own conclusions and email me at teamrecurrent at insidestl.com. It's questions from the audience as uh, anticipated. We spent a good amount of time on that part of the um, of the uh, questions from the audience on the Jeff Fisher interview in the background on it. This one is, as always, these things kind of like become family trees from previous questions. Tim, listening to the latest QFTA. So this is last week's when I was recording it from my bed. Super weird. Ryan Kelly's the home loan expert, and he is the sponsor of our studios here on the Tim McKernan show. Without him, we don't have a podcast. So make sure you're supporting our sponsor, Ryan Kelly, the home loan expert.com. And with interest rates dropping and this being home buying season, this is a prime time to get in and get yourself a great rate and lock in. Or if you want to refinance, now's the time to do so. Ryan Kelly's the person to do it with. He is online at thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly, the studio sponsor of this program. Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. 
And the discussion about safety downtown. I lived in downtown West from 2007 through 2014, and I agree with you. I never felt threatened despite what was on the news or the occasional gunshot or whatever. I felt like as long as someone wasn't into something nefarious themselves, they were probably safe walking around. I would walk to and from Cardinal Games from 18th and Olive or go out for runs over many parts of downtown, so I was pretty close to inside STL's location. Our offices were at 19th and Locust for nine years. Um, Now, perhaps my wife, who lives there with me after we got married, who lived there with me after we got married in 2012, felt differently, but as a guy very similar to yourself in stature and hair situation, unfortunately, uh, those are two things that just really didn't need to be brought up in the question, but I read them nonetheless. It never bothered me. Basically, no, you aren't alone in your thoughts on that one. Enjoy your week. That is from, uh, he didn't sign it, so I'll leave the name out. Um, So yeah, last week was asked about perceived safety in downtown St. Louis. And I spoke to living there 2009 through 2012 and having our offices there from 2007 through 2016. And that is uh, where that email comes from. And I don't know, man. I don't know if, if... if it has gotten worse and it has really gotten worse or if the perception has just gotten worse. And we're talking about 2016 wasn't that long ago. I just know, I just didn't think any, my my feeling on the office in in 2016 being down there was, was the same as it was in 2007. That just never changed. At the same time at 19th and Locust, it always was basically an abandoned area of downtown West. I think what has changed in a major way in the last decade is, you know, that two or three block st- stretch of Washington Avenue, and that's where we lived. We lived in the Grace Lofts, and uh, was the best. Loved it. God, I loved it. You know, I mean, it it just was so fun to just be able to get you know intoxicated and then just have an elevator. Right? I mean, you're walking to your elevator, and then you take the elevator right up to your place, and that's it. It's I just that's just that's that's why I love New York. That's why I love Las Vegas. No worries about driving. Um, but I think I feel like the perception of safety in downtown has, if you were to ask people in 2009 their confidence level in walking around and feeling safe in downtown versus 2019, I would imagine that has dropped precipitously. And that was the theme of the initial email. All right, what else do we have here? What else do we have here? We have a golf question. Hey, Tim, golf questions, big golf nerd. And love hearing you guys talk golf on the show, so I thought I'd ask you some questions. First, what's your feeling on two off the first tee, also known as the breakfast ball? Um, I'll answer that right out of the gate. I am all for it. Now, where I play, unfortunately, there is no driving range. And I have to be honest with you, I hate it. Love the place I play. I play at Westboro. I always have to be, I feel like I have to be so cryptic because I know there's a stigma of sorts attached to uh, country clubs. And uh, as I always say, you know, I've been fortunate enough to play at a variety of private clubs, and I think those of you who've also played a variety of private clubs, you would agree that Westboro is not like we're talking about Old Warson or Bell Reeve. So, it, but it's weird because I don't want to like downplay Old Warson, but I also don't want to upplay. And then I know no matter what, it's like, oh fuck you, you're a member of a country club. But it's wound up be it's a super young membership and a lot of young kids and young families and having a two year old and. You know, it being close to home is really the biggest thing, but it doesn't have a driving range. And I am just a golfer who, for whatever reason, I don't know, I wish I could be otherwise, but I need to be able to hit balls. Otherwise, um, 
I'm just it just takes a while for me to get warm. And I know it's going to happen. And at Westboro, in my opinion, the first four holes are the easiest stretch of four holes on the golf course. I mean, there's I've I've left the fourth hole three under par. Uh, that that was an absolute outlier. That happened one time. Um, so it's not commonplace, but I birdied the first three holes, and that's I don't think I've ever birdied three holes in a row in my life. So they're scorable holes. Sometimes you're playing a hole like number five at Westboro, and you know if you if you bogey it, you can feel like it's a win. Point being, because I'm a player that needs time to get going, and then having the first four holes at the place where I play most. Uh, be the easiest to leave there like three over or four over is tilting and then i'll say i'll play with you I'm like now i'm going to shoot like one over the, the next five holes and that includes a couple of you know like a 215 yard par three and a uh, i don't even know what the par four is that runs along lockwood what it, what the distance is but it's a it's a it's a legitimate tough golf hole uh don't say golf hole point being uh i i'm all for you know, two off the first tee because I know that for myself, I'm just I'm just not right if I don't get a chance to hit balls beforehand. It's just it's just me personally. So I'm all for that. Uh, now I will take the next questions regarding it. I play with a guy that will call two off the first tee, even if they if they were at the range for 45 minutes prior. Okay, well that see that changes things, but it's just an agreement. I'm a, you don't call it. You ask. Do you guys want to hit? two shots off the first tee and sometimes people don't want to and sometimes people do when I've had matches I have attempted to with what depends on the player and it depends on the situation um like the fan page club championship the world-renowned fan page club championship you I'm getting when I was playing a few of my matches a stroke on the first hole at Normandy which is you know from the white tees it's like a 350 yard straight par four I mean something really would have had to have gone wrong for me to get anything worse than a bogey there and I'm getting a pop I mean at that point the guy has to birdie it in order to win the hole and there's a good chance I'm going to par it and and therefore I'm going to have a net three so in that case I'm like yeah let's go two off the first tee because there's just no way that I'm not going to hit one ball within 100 yards of the pin and even in an absolutely horrible shot where I don't get on from less than 100 out I'm not, I'm not going to get anything worse than a bogey, you know, and most of the time it's going to be a four. Uh, and so I'm a net three and that's so that's strategic. But if you're just playing with friends or you're playing a money game, everybody agrees on it. I played a match versus a guy that didn't hit a breakfast ball and I did. And anyway, on the 15th hole comes around, he hits a bad tee shot and says, oh, here's my breakfast ball. I was so caught off guard because I've never heard of that before. <laughs> well, I agree with you. And what kind of fucking match was this where that even come? Where, where does that happen? What it was this was this in the fan page club championship? I have no idea. I've never heard of that. If you agree that if you don't hit two off the first tee, you get to keep it, then that's one thing. Again, the rules need to be set in advance. So, but if you're playing a match and somebody busts that out, then I got to tell you, it's on you. Even though it's going to be awkward to say, "Hey, we're not," you know, "we're not doing that." What the hell are you doing? Uh, secondly, what golf games do you like playing? What's the most you've won or lost in a round? Thanks. That comes from Donnie. I'm going to enjoy a beverage here. Uh, Gangster Pete, play, play the time kill music. It's kind of a Marco Rubio situation. Uh, with my throat getting dry. Uh, you know, I, it's interesting to me 
Uh, I'll play with Cletus, who for those of you who listen to TMA, you've heard stories about him. And, and I'll be playing with him, and they'll, he'll be playing with another guy. And they're playing for so much money that I'm almost like, I just want to like go play another hole and get out of the way because there's so much on the line. When I'm playing, and it's like like the most you can win or lose. I don't know. I've probably lost like a hundred, maybe. I mean, I'm sure people are like, "Oh, really? That's it?" But and I've I've won maybe something comparable. You know, I guess maybe there've been a couple times. Thank you to Chris Raby uh, that it's been maybe a little bit more. But you know, it's never been. I'm just not good enough to get in a spot where. I'm I'm betting a hundred dollars a hole or something like that, or even fifty dollars a hole. It's just not, I'm just not there. Um, but man, I know shit gets crazy. I'm just, you know, I talked about this. Um, uh, at the very least, in the Pick Six podcast, for whatever reason, and I'm not sure why. Um, I think it's because I'm monitoring my finances a hell of a lot more closely than I did forever. And I see what I want to set aside every month uh, that I don't want to like, I don't want to get in a spot where it's like, oh, well, I wanted to do this, but I lost this much gambling. And so now, you know, I got to catch up next month. So if I win, whatever, if I win a certain amount of money, it doesn't change my life in any way. But if I lose that same amount of money, I'm on tilt. So therefore, taking a step back, the analytic is, well, if, if, if the upside is really zero, but the downside is you've lost the money and it's really going to bother you, then what's the then the answer is don't do it. And therefore, I don't really do it. And by I say don't really do it, when Nick Saban has his traditional Saturday afternoon in September where he doesn't cover against a horrible team, this year it was New Mexico State, I bet it. And he didn't cover, and it's as close as you can get to free money. But, but, but at the same time, people are like, well, why not bet, like, if you know he's not going to cover, why not bet, like, something that would really matter and you could really do something with? So we're talking about four figures and, and a healthy amount of four figures. And I'm like, what if it doesn't happen this time? You know, and then all of a sudden I'm out something that really matters. Uh, but that's my thought process with the same thing with golf. I just don't want to get in that spot unless I know I really have an edge. But I, I don't know who I could be playing at this point where I go, I know I have an edge, um, like a major edge to the point that I bet something that, that much. All right, I want to go through, let's see, because we've saved, we're doing questions from the audience with me, Iggy, and the Plowhawk on TMA. And so some of these I want to save for uh, TMA uh, for that. Um, God, I want to answer that one so bad, uh, but I can't. Let's see. Oh, this is the worst when I do this. Okay, this is a good one. This is a good one to sell to finish off this week because this is good. Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Can't emphasize enough how important it is to have a, a financial advisor, but then it's not just any financial advisor. It's somebody who who knows but cares. Again, plenty of people can know but cares. And Mark Hanna helps everyday people every day get their finances organized. You can call him at 314-889-0503. That's 314-889-0503. Or go online to evergreenstl.com. His name is Mark Hanna. He is with Evergreen Wealth Strategies. And I can tell you from getting to know Mark here over the last year, that this is a first-class person who has your best interests at heart, and just calling him at 314-889-0503 is going to make you feel better and you're on the right track. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, 314-889-0503, or go online at evergreenstl.com. Because 
As I record this, Tuesday, September 17th, 2019, the Cardinals have a two-game lead in the National League Central. The Cubs are going to be without Javi Baez and Anthony Rizzo. The Brewers are down three games, and they're going to be without Christian Yelich the rest of the way. And if the Cardinals do not win the division and then lose the wild card game or lose the NLDS against the Dodgers, who they would play if they win the wild card game, at this point, and justifiably so, fans will be banty, i.e. pissed off. Uh, people were really pissed off in the days, and to an extent weeks, but it was really more like 10 days, following the trade deadline. And then the team got hot, and it's kind of like, oh yeah, people were pissed about that. And I'm still, I still wonder about it. Because if they had gotten a pitcher, and they were in first place, would it be as tight as it is? What if they got a pitcher that they could actually use in the postseason? You have Flaherty, you have Hudson, you feel really good about both of them. But then you go, okay, Michaelis just hasn't really been Michaelis. And, God, we're going to start Adam Wayne, right? We're sure as hell going to make sure we start him at home. And that's kind of what we got. And right now the bullpen's teetering. And is the bullpen teetering because the Cardinals relied on the bullpen so much? And if they would have had an innings either starter on July 31st in an acquisition, would the bullpen be teetering now? These are all fair questions. So, unfortunately, it's results-oriented. I will stand by. I think they should have gotten a starter on July 31st. And this is coming from somebody who in 16, 17, and 18 wish, wishes they would have sold, which was a minority position. In this case, I'm with the majority. So there it is. Here is the question. Hey, Tim, thanks for answering my question last week on sports betting. It was a sincere question. I was just curious why you're still hosting that show when you're not betting. Uh, yeah, I was asked um, why I host the Pick 6 show when I'm not personally betting. and it's, I'm still interested in the odds, um, but that got into my whole thing about the juice not being worth the squeeze on sports betting. This week's question is I'm curious to know your thoughts on why it seems that many people around the Cardinals are almost overly cautious not to criticize the former manager, Mike Matheny. Just seems like whether the topic is something along the lines of certain players not performing well under Matheny, improvements on defense slash base running, or even how the, how Schilt explains his reasoning for decisions, lots of folks offer a disclaimer about how they are not criticizing the former manager. It just seems odd, especially when some of Matheny's shortcomings seem so obvious to many fans. Thank you for the time. Always enjoy the podcast. Best, best that comes from Max. It's a great question. It's a hell of an observation, and, and it's, it's absolutely fair. Now, as I say often, I don't listen to much sports talk radio throughout St. Louis. I just don't. And it's not like I'm so much better, and therefore I don't care what other people have to say. It's because I have like two-minute commutes, if that. Um, so this past weekend when uh, my wife and I drove up to South Bend to be with my family for the Notre Dame game, and I had what turned out to be seven hours. Holy shit. Uh, my recommendation on driving to South Bend is to go the Indianapolis and then up through Indiana route um, and not the Chicago slash Joliet Gary, Indiana, South Bend. And we wound up in Michigan for part of the time route. Holy shit. Wow, was that brutal. That I was as asking people about podcasts or audio books because I was going to have a hell of a lot of time in the car. And I just never have a whole lot of time in my car because everything, for the most part, is so close to where we live, which was, you know, set up by design because I don't like to drive. Um, and so I don't listen to sports talk radio because I'm not in my car much. But I know I have said it. Um, 
and I feel like other people on the show have said it. Guests on our show have said it. I feel like I've heard it on Cardinal Broadcast to an extent. And none of, again, none of this is like, I'm not going to name these people. It's, it's got nothing to do with it. I'm just saying I've heard it, and I agree with it. It is odd, um, you know, because I don't feel like people were saying that about Tony La Russa, but at the same time, Tony La Russa won two world championships here and, um, what, one other pennant, right? Uh, so, you know, and it's, he's a Hall of Fame manager. So I think there's, I don't know. I, my, my honest answer is I really don't know. Um, and I really do agree that it's odd. I don't, I don't have, I don't, don't have a good explanation for it. Um, I have no idea. Like if you think of, you know, former blues or Rams coaches, it's like a, a running joke. Hell, I mean, we just talked about Jeff Fisher for a while, seven and nine, that, that hole. How about that hole? How about that hole? How about that whole deal? Um, you know, Steve Spagnuolo, Scott Linehan jokes, former Missouri coaches, my God, you know, jokes, and Matheny, yet it's true. It's like he, he, you, you can't. You're ripping him, but you really, you know, you got to say. But no disrespect to Mike Matheny, and I have no idea what that's about. I guess I'll try to theorize on it because I think it's a great question, and it makes my synapses fire. Um, the Cardinals, and this is something I was saying leading into the 2018 season, when it was either going to be one or the other. They were either going to shut up critics and have a hell of a year, or they were going to fire Mike Matheny. I thought it would be at the end of the year. Um, and they surprised us by doing it before the All-Star break. The Cardinals, since Whitey Herzog, have had Whitey Herzog, Joe Torre, Tony La Russa, Mike Matheny, which most likely means those of you listening to this have seen four managers for the Cardinals, five managers when you include Schilt now. And, and I would imagine, and it's the kind of thing that, I'm so confident in it that I would be willing to wager that the only other organization of the four major North American professional sports leagues that have had a comparable low number of head coaches or managers in that time is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, somebody might go, oh, my God, how are you forgetting this? Like, even if you want to go, well, Belichick's been in New England forever. And I go, okay, yeah, but what about 1980 through Belichick's arrival? You know, there was a revolving door. Um, you know, I, I, so, th- you know, it's just, it's just, it's the way pro sports work. And I don't think it's a good thing. That's something Jeff Fisher talked about, and I completely agree with him uh, about, you know, instability with coaching changes and GMs. I just think it's a bad thing. It's a bad thing in business, and I think it's a bad, now sometimes you got to do it. And oftentimes it's a tough thing to do because you're the one who made the hire and now you got to acknowledge you fucked up, but hey, that's the game. But getting back to the question, I think it's because we really have not in St. Louis or Cardinal fans, wherever they may be, experienced in most of our lifetimes um, a manager that is viewed as a failure. And even if one would view Joe Torre's time as a failure... You know, he, he gets fired from St. Louis in 95. He wins the World Series with the Yankees in 96, and off he goes. I think he lost in the ALCS to the Indians in 97, and then they had one of the best teams ever in 98, another world champion in 99, uh, another world champion in 2000, and, and out away from a world championship in 2001. So, you know, okay, let's mock Joe Torre, except he's, you know, a Hall of Fame manager and a legend in New York as the Yankees manager. 
Mike Matheny does not have that. Mike Matheny was not immediately scooped up by any franchise as a manager, uh, much less a franchise the caliber of the New York Yankees. And so I think I I I don't know I because th- it's not like it's not like the media loved Mike Matheny. I think the media loved well, loved but certainly liked and respected him as a player. And a lot of those people are no longer covering the team, and but some are. And just like who is this guy as a manager? But people didn't really want to talk about it. And I'm not down there on a regular basis anymore. But when I had Matheny on the podcast in January of 2018. He talked about that. He talked about it. He said he knew it was a flaw, and uh, but he did it intentionally, not being an ass per se, but but being guarded. So as to why, I think in general the market is is you know slow to criticize um, for the for the most part. Um, like really, really lay into, you know, like when you see the Francesa clips on Twitter and you're just like WFAN, you're just like, oh my God, this guy. Um, so I think that's that's part of it. And I, th- here's, maybe this, maybe this is the reason. I think a lot of people would tell you that the main reason, and I'll speak for myself here, even though I think others would agree with me, that the main reason Mike Matheny was let go and that there are people who have been or are associated with the Cardinals who feel like they left some out there. And by left some out there, I mean up 3-1 on the Giants in 2012. Left one out there. Um, You know, up 2-1 on the Red Sox in the World Series in 2013. Left one out there. 2014 against the Giants was just rough. I mean, that that was... I hope as a Cardinal fan, I never see anything like that again from a managerial standpoint. That was just really rough. That was, that was, it was kind of like sad. But I think a lot of people would tell you that the reason he is no longer the Cardinal manager is not as much strategic as it is personal. And by that, I'm not talking about like, oh, he was a bad guy, although maybe some would tell you that. But it was some personal what people would consider, I think, flaws, and maybe Mike would as well, uh, that led to his him losing his job in July of 18. And I will go into what I think those would be considered. Um, lack of communication, upsetting players. I mean, when, my, when Yadier Molina went to Instagram to crap on his manager, I'm just like, okay, that's it. That's, that's just not, you know, whether one finds Molina to be a delight or not, he is a face of the franchise. It has been for a long time. He was the understudy of Mike Matheny as a player, and he knows the program. You don't do that shit, you know? I mean, Antonio Brown will do that shit, but it doesn't go on in a, in a functioning locker room and uh, or, a, if you want me to use the non-dysfunctional locker room. And so when I saw that, I'm like, wow. You know, and some might go, who cares? I'm like, no, that's just not... it. it this level from that caliber of player to a guy who he was a teammate of and is his manager to do that it's just not you know if it's some guy who you know whatever but and by that I mean like some kind of random fly-by-night guy whatever but not Yadier Molina to Mike Matheny via Instagram so I think the communication was a major issue and I think his defensiveness 
an unwillingness to talk about reasons for strategic decisions was rooted in a paranoia that was rooted in insecurity because he knew for some people, some, you know, in St. Louis, name people, uh, didn't think he should have gotten the job. I think he always had this insecurity. And I think it got him. Now, Mike Matheny, who I'm certain won't be listening to this, but might hear, you know, if I were to say this to him, he might absolutely disagree. I don't know. Um, But because it's personal, I think people are hesitant to criticize because it's personal. It's one thing to say, you know, I really like Adam Wainwright, but my God, when that guy starts on the road, it is brutal. And I don't know if the Cardinals can risk a start in the playoffs with Adam Wainwright on the road. That's not personal. That's You can back that up with data. Saying someone could not manage big leaguers in 2018 because he didn't know how to communicate with them and reach them, um, and he was insecure, and so therefore he had a bad relationship with the media, that's personal. It's, a, it's subjective. Now, a lot of people who might have been around would tell you, no, that's the truth, but it's still it's subjective. Matheny may disagree with it. Adam Wainwright's road and home splits are objective. Can't really deny much of that um so it's the math so i think that might be it i think because i think some people might not want to say anything on the air or in writing um but at the same time i'm 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 theorizing that's often what happens here in questions from the audience you guys ask questions that i think are great questions but i don't really have a good answer for um you know so i think i think a lot of what mike schilt has done um is 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 I saw what went on before and therefore I saw how it didn't rub a lot of people the right way and therefore I'm just not going to do that or I will do the opposite and sometimes that's a winning strategy um because you know I don't I don't think Schilt is um I don't think a lot of people are talking about him at this moment you know we had Richard Justice on TMA this morning the MLB.com writer and he said Mike Schilt has to be in the mix for the manager of the year. Um, but I don't feel like it, it's one of those things. I didn't feel like La Russa was accepted even when they won, you know, in 96, 2000, 2001, 2002. They had a good year in 2003 but came up short of the Cubs. I don't, I don't feel like he was as accepted around here until he won a pennant. Uh, it's not like people don't accept Schilt, but I just think that if he were to win a pennant at the, that point, then he can kind of be canonized. He wins a World Series, then he is canonized. Um, so that's what I think's going on with it. I think it's a great question. I'd be, I might bounce that off of Doug and the cat. I'd be curious what they have to say about that. Because yes, I agree. It's like, well, I'm not criticizing the former manager. I'm not criticizing Mike Matheny. But yeah, why, why not? I mean, it's, it's not, now if you're going to rip him for things that have nothing to do with baseball, that's a different deal. And that might be where people might feel like they're getting in a gray area. I don't know, but great question, Max. Always send your questions. Team McKernan at InsideSTL.com for questions from the audience. Anything goes. It's a free-for-all. I keep encouraging it. And it's like I only have gotten like two creepy questions in a uh, year doing this. Uh, Team McKernan at InsideSTL.com. Thank you to all of our sponsors, TheHomeLoanExpert.com, James Carlton, Carlton State Farm Insurance, uh, and uh, Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, Design Air Heating and Cooling, and Johnny Landoff Chevrolet. Thanks for listening to another edition of Questions from the Audience on the Tim McKernan Show from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios.